Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Root Horror Podcast. Marcus Root here. And I just briefly want to talk a little bit before the main topic of the episode kicks off. Um, This episode, I talked to filmmaker Jason Rudy about uh, several of his films that he's made and then also his newest film, uh, Emmanuel in Sin City. Um, we also talk about uh, one of his newer films that's on Tubi TV right now, so you can watch one of his films for free on Tubi called Lady Hyde, and it's a fantastic film that I think a lot of Franco fans out there will enjoy, and as well as a lot of some of the other well, <laughs> some of the other films that he's made as well. Uh, just you know, he is a big Franco fan himself, uh, just Franco. And uh, he also has his own podcast where he talks about uh, Franco all the time. So, uh, you know, keep uh, listening to the episode. Um, This one is the audio episode version of this podcast episode. There is a video version that will be coming later on the Root Horror Podcast YouTube channel. So stay tuned for that if you... If you like to watch the videos instead of uh, just audio, um, so make sure to subscribe to the Root Horror Podcast YouTube channel. And uh, yeah, it, it, you know I had a fun time talking to Jason, uh, getting to know him more as a person as well. And uh, just yeah, it, I had a fantastic time talking to Jason, uh, not just about film but also about uh, wrestling as well so if you're a wrestling fan and a franco fan then you're going to be in heaven today uh so uh, yeah with without further ado uh let's just get right into the episode with uh director jason rudy hello everybody you're listening and watching the rude horror podcast i'm your host marcus and today on the show uh, i have a guest who's a filmmaker He's working on his 17th film later this year. Uh, I have Jason Rudy on the show to talk about the horror genre and his film career. So uh, how are you doing today, Jason? Hello, Marcus. How are you, my brother? Uh, Yeah, it's cool. uh, Nice to have uh, Jason Rudy on the Rude podcast. I saw the the name. I figured, well, hell, man, I'm just one letter off, so I figured it'd be a good place to talk so yeah uh i'm doing good i'm out here in uh, california um northern california here in uh, sacramento and uh it's been really cold i don't know it's as cold as it is um where you're at right now but yeah it's very cold out here yeah it's it's really cold uh it's a little warmer than yesterday but it's 19 degrees here and it's still cold but ah um yesterday was like it was like negative eight yesterday morning and i was just like man i am ready for winter to be over with i do not want to uh <laughs> be stuck here in this antarctic weather it feels like yeah and even out here in california i mean usually it's you think california you think warm and stuff but yeah it's that it's that arctic chill that's in the air i mean it's it's in like the 30s here which is warm for you guys but for us it's usually in the 50s or 60s so it's like whoa it's like half the degrees of what it usually is and just that chill in the air just does not go away you know but uh i guess being horror fans we like to have our bones chilled so uh you know i guess it oh. works out in the right we maybe that's maybe that's why we watch horror films so we can just kind of prep our bodies for 
wintertime being chilly and I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because you watch horror films and you learn how to defend yourself or you learn what to do in a situation, what not to do in a situation. And it has a lot of that primal stuff in your body of like the same um, uh, receptors and everything that it hits uh, for different emotions and that. So, yeah, I mean, totally horror films can prime you in like all ways of life. So right. that's a good way to put it. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, from, from what I've learned talking to people on this podcast uh, from like all over the world that um, the horror genre is kind of like a, a universal language. Like it's, it's, a, it's almost like a language that everybody on the planet uh, understands and uh, you know, more or less like uh, you know, like fear plays a, a big a big part into the horror genres language. Um, and, you know, it, it's kind of, it's kind of a cool thing where, you know, I could talk to someone halfway across the country or uh, across the world and, you know, not even know the person, but yeah, when we talk about the horror genre, we're almost like on the same level with, with things. And, you know, we have that mutual language where we could talk about, you know, the horror genre. Yeah. Um, I'm a really big, um, pro wrestling fan. So like, I feel the same way with horror and wrestling. I mean, I can walk up to strangers or say I'm standing in line for a show. I'll, I'll end up striking up a conversation with a person standing next to me. If I seem like I would have something in common because like with horror and wrestling, it's like, you're there to see that specific thing. So you already know that you'll talk to somebody and like me in a bar or in a mall or something, I would never just walk up to a stranger and start talking to him. But, you know, when you have that thing that you both have similar backgrounds or something that you have that joint shared deal, you know, you definitely have something easier to fall back on. And you people seem more receptive to open up and talk about things like that. So, yes, most definitely. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, um, before we get into uh, a lot of the films that you've worked on, um, I wanted to uh, to bring up like what got you into the horror genre. Like, was there like a, a specific movie, or um, you know, like what kind of like sparked your interest of uh, your interest in the horror genre, and then leading up to wanting to be a filmmaker? Well. Um... Me being uh, like a kid in the 70s and 80s, you know, uh, when I was a kid, I had a very good amount and I still do have a really good imagination. So that was a key for me is living inside my imagination and making it a, a, a reality. So like when I was a kid, I remember in 1979, uh, a phantasm came out and there was the trailer of the ball going through the hallway and when I was a kid, when I would hear the voiceover of the guy doing the commercial and seeing that ball shoot through the hallway, I would run out of the room because I thought the ball was coming out of the TV and would chase me. So right <laughs> then I was hooked. So there's a lot of lot of things like that that I went back on and analyzed myself and tried to figure out key things that really made me draw in. From there, I'd say that. Um, and like in the seventies as well, eighties, they went back to a lot of the retro monster stuff. So I got into King Kong and Frankenstein and Dracula, those key ones and the Wolfman, especially. And then like seeing Indiana jo or seeing uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark in the theater, the scene where the Ark opens and all the 
power comes out and the guy's face starts melting. Well, I saw that when it first came out in 1981 and I was a little kid and the screen or the uh, film broke during that part. So it started burning and then flickering. So I got all scared and thinking, oh shit, like these things are in the theater. And a few <laughs> times like that, it's like those key things triggered in where the believability of reality and imagination like crossed over where you were like, whoa, what's, what's going on, you know? And I think for that to have those things as a kid makes you always can draw back on that instinct or that feeling or that emotion of how you were in that situation and how you can recapture that. And I try to put those little tricks in some of my films of things that scared me or, or things that I really remember. And a lot of it is interacting with the viewer at home, trying to breaking that wall kind of, you know, and that's what two of those things I think changed me was breaking of that wall of where it could come out of the screen and into your lap, you know, kind of like that film demons, you know, is kind of that way or uh, a demons Two, where it had that same coming out of the tube or coming out of the screen into your reality, which is a really frightening concept. Um, but yeah, so it's like seeing those and that, and then always through my life, um, I trained to be a wrestler when I was 16 with this guy, uh, a mad dog, Buzz Sawyer. And he passed away in like uh, 89 and he was like a famous wrestler of the seventies and eighties and uh, in the South and everything. And uh, so I knew in my life, I wanted to either be a wrestler or be in movies somehow, you know? So uh, the wrestling thing came and went and I still did it up until about a year ago as more of a hobby and kind of a freelance thing. And with the filmmaking um, I ended up just saving a bunch of money and buying a camera and meeting some guys that were making movies and just, striking up conversation because I worked at a video store for about uh, 10 years here in Sacramento called Video Clearance Center. And we sold uh, DVDs, VHSs, laser discs, all that stuff uh, from mm -hmm. like the early 2000 era. And uh, so like I met a lot of cool people working there that were filmmakers or film fans. And so like we talked about horror as a background, you go, somebody was buying something you'd recognize like, oh, hey, what's up, man? Or, you know, you'd see, oh, this person likes the same stuff. I do. They're not buying, you know, uh, officer and a gentleman or, 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 you know, five goes West. They're buying, you know, basket case or, uh, mm -hmm. I spit on your grave or something, you know? Um, so yeah, so meeting other people that did that. And I met a guy named Greg Stetchman who had a production company and, and he was doing some films and I came on as like a second AD. And then I worked on about two or three films with him and, uh, he ended up just kind of being really like a flaky person. So I just started moving up and kind of taking over. And um, I did um, assistant director and then moved up to kind of ghost direct the third film. And then after that, I just uh, talked to people on set and said, Hey man, I got some scripts that I'm doing. I want to make a movie too. I got a camera. We got these crew. So we just ended up uh, starting um, Desperate Visions Productions, uh, which is my production company in 2007. And then I've been making films for myself and my company since then. And I've done some other stuff for freelance, but mostly that. Awesome. Awesome, man. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a wrestling fan as well. So, uh, you know, it's really cool to be able to talk to, you know, someone else who's a horror fan and a wrestling fan. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I've been a fan from about 82 to about 2000 and something, you know, I still watch it, but I'm not as big into it as I used to be, but. Right. Yeah. For, for me, um, I, I really got into wrestling like during the attitude era, like, um, right. I'm, 
I'm 33, so uh, you know the Attitude Era was was my my time of watching as a kid, getting into wrestling, and you know what a time to be a wrestling fan with you know like Undertaker, Stone Cold, The Rock, you know yeah. all, all all them guys in their prime. Um, and then like, yeah, and I got into it in '82, and like uh, Hogan won the belt in '84, so I was into it just before Hogan won the belt. So I saw that era where a lot of stuff changed over from the old school to the more TV stuff and the rock and wrestling and all that. And then by 95, 96, it had started that next cycle of the, you know, NWO and nitro and attitude era and all that stuff, the Monday night wars and, and all that stuff, you know? So, yeah, it, it's interesting. Just like there's like with filmmaking, there's the seventies and the eighties and the nineties and you have those, giants and things and people compare what's better or, or what do you like better and stuff and i don't know i mean there's still there's still really good wrestling going on nowadays just like there's still really good films going on nowadays but there's i think everybody kind of goes back to what they first got into as their favorites i think throughout life you kind of always go back to those first things you know it seems like right yeah I've, i i i can agree with you on that because um you know, I I try to watch like newer wrestling. Like there is some good stuff, but it seems like I always want to kind of go back to like the '90s wrestling for me. Um, right, because that's your favorite stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I like the style of of how things were back then, rather than you know the, the newer stuff. Um, right, and but see, that's every generation because like. I'm part of a group called the Cauliflower Alley Club, and it's a really good group. It's a, a nonprofit organization, and I would honestly recommend everybody look up the CaulifleurAlleyClub.org. It's basically a nonprofit organization that uh, every year we meet in Las Vegas for a big reunion, and it's guys that are wrestlers nowadays and guys all the way back that are still living to the 50s and 60s era, and they take care of people that have funerals that need costs to cover hospital bills, funerals, mortgages, tax problems. They take care of the old timers that didn't really make a lot of money or, or, or had problems. And, and so every year they give awards and they have a big dinner and it's a really cool thing. And as a wrestling fan, I like it because you can meet people in the hallways and talk to people and it's just like free and just cheap. And it's, it's a really good deal. And it's a, it's more of a fraternity than like say a WrestleMania fan access thing, you know, something like that. But uh, yeah. So like, even with that, you listen to the guys and there's guys that like the way guys wrestled in the seventies more than the eighties. And there's guys that see the eighties is better than the nineties. And there's guys that like the nineties and nowadays and guys that like nowadays and say the guys back then didn't know what they were doing or they're too slow. And I mean, you, you get back and forth steady, just right. like with any community, same with the horror community, you know? Right, right. Um, do you see like any like uh, I guess you would say like re le uh, legends of wrestlers? Like, I mean, do like you know uh, wrestlers from the past do they show up to those types of things, or is that more of like a fan? Oh, yeah. related. No, totally, totally. Uh, and it's guys because they'll advertise who's getting an award every year, but then a lot of the other guys just show up every year just to show up. Like, for example, the last one was in September and I met uh, JBL, Jerry Lawler, Tommy Rich, the Rock and Roll Express, um, uh, Ray Mysterio, uh, Conan, um, 
Tony Gurria, uh, just, you know, Haku, the Barbarian, just tons of guys. There's usually 30, 40, 50 guys there every year that are just there, just hanging out. And you go down to the lobby and you see them hanging out at Subway and you talk to them or this or that or and the bar in the area you're gambling. <laughs> it's always just so, so cool and such a cool thing that it's just, yeah. Like if I was a kid going, man, when you're older, Jason, you're going to hang out with Haku at the buffet and talk to him about this and that, or you're going to talk to Tommy Rich about this. You're going to talk to Jerry Lawler about that or, or uh, share a story or something. It's just, it's just so cool. And, and I, it's like my favorite thing to do every year. Wow, man. That sounds amazing. Um, I, yeah. I listened yeah. to, I listened to- <laughs> I'm sorry. What did you say? I said, yeah, I would say, uh, check it out. Um, and, uh, join the group. It's only like, uh, I think 20 or 25 bucks a year. And then you can go to the convention and you get a, a, um, a, a newsletter like a couple times a year and it's a good, it's a good deal. Plus it's a charity gig and everything. And it actually helps people out. So. For sure. Yeah. Um, I listened to Jim Ross's podcast and he talks about, uh, he talks about that uh, that charity event. Uh, yeah, he's been a speaker for a few years for the shows. Oh, he, ahead, he he's a. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> he, so he's a speaker for the show sometimes. Yeah, he was doing it until he joined AEW because um, that's the thing too. WWE always had a table at Cauliflower Alley Club, and they always would send, like, say in the past, they would always have a table of like say twelve people. And you would see um, some of the legends there, like uh, Jimmy Hart, Sergeant Slaughter, um, Shawn Michaels, and those guys would show up every year and, and hang out um, representing the WWE. But then with AEW coming in and everything, it kind of changed up a little bit. And they still send people, but there was more AEW guys like Jeff Jarrett. I, I talked to him for a while. And like a lot of guys that were there. So now, and then with Jim Ross changing over, it kind of changed a lot of stuff. So like this year it was Jerry Lawler was the host and uh, I forgot who was his co-host, but you know, Jerry Lawler's a great host. So there's nothing wrong right. with having him host it. Wow, man. Amazing. Now I'm definitely going to look into the call flyer. Alley Club. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, So yeah, uh, just to kind of tie in like uh, more of like your stuff uh, with the wrestling before we move on. Uh, I see that you were a pro wrestler for XWA. Um, did you get to wrestle with like a lot of big, bigger wrestlers or was it like more of like an indie circuit? Yeah, no, I saw somebody posted that on my IMDB. Um, I wrestled up here in uh, Northern California for a uh, next level pro wrestling. And then I wrestled for some indies up in uh, Yuba city and in um, uh, Marysville in Sacramento and uh, down by Stockton. Um, but like, that was about it. Um, and it was always like in battle Royals. I had a few singles matches, did tag matches and stuff, but uh, I ended up just like doing that for a while. But like when I, but like when I was doing it too, like in the late nineties, there really wasn't an indie scene compared to nowadays. So it's like, I'm almost 50 years old. So it, for me, it's a little bit hard for me to still get in the ring and do it. But like, I always think, God damn, if this was going on, 20 years ago, I would be so thankful because nowadays there's literally like two or three indie shows every weekend up and down within 20, maybe within hundred miles of me, either direction. There's so many shows that you can do nowadays where a lot of the guys can work all the time. But when I was doing it, there was 
all pro wrestling down in Hayward and they were like the only ones doing a show. And that was a uh, once a month. So you really couldn't make a living doing it, you know, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, no, I ended up training with a uh, bus Sawyer when I was 16 and uh, Ken Shamrock was just uh, uh, starting up there. And then he left when I came in. Um, so he, he was ended up doing really good. And then uh, Manny Fernandez trained with us there as a trainer, um, Brett Sawyer, and then I trained again in my 20s with uh, Paul DeMarco. He was a big wrestler in the 60s and 70s. He was a champ in Georgia, uh, fought Dory Funk Jr. and all that stuff. And then uh, um, Oliver John, who was my trainer under him, was of about my age. And he ended up training after I left. He trained uh, Jeff Cobb and helped train uh, Timothy Thatcher and uh, a lot of the guys that are out there today, uh, um, Brian Cage and, you know, some of the bigger name guys. Wow. Wow, amazing. Yeah, there's some big names. So, yeah, so uh, me and him trained together two days a week all the time back in the 96, 95 era. Right on. Back when you were watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I think it's really cool how, uh, you know, you see a lot more indie circuits around, like, uh, in my area. Um, I, I live close to the Quad Cities, and that's where wrestler Seth Rollins from. So, He's got his own wrestling academy in town. And then also yeah. uh, his wrestling academy um, uh, supports the local indie scene, um, Scott County Pro Wrestling. So, um, okay. What you know, state is that out of? Iowa. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, Iowa back in the day was like, you know, isn't that a dead, uh, Dan K or uh, um, Dan Gable country, like Iowa, like, like yep. NCAA wrestling, like Iowa was like a wrestling state, you know, for just pure wrestling. So that makes sense. Yeah. And I think there's uh, I haven't been there yet. Cause it's kind of on the whole other side of where, where I'm at, but uh, there's like a, a, I guess like a pro wrestling hall of fame. Uh, yeah. There's that one out there. Uh, I remember seeing that. Yeah, I, I've been meaning to, like, you know, I think it'd be cool to go up there. Um, like, again, I was listening to Jim Ross's podcast, and he was talking about how he was going to be there. Um, and I was just like, holy crap, I didn't realize that there was a an actual, like, pro wrestling museum here in Iowa. So um, definitely need to plan a road trip sometime. Yeah, if that's closer to you, that's similar to the Callfire Alley Club because they work with the CAC, and I know they always – put over that convention as well. And people will go to that show. Cause there's a lot of times they'll do it once a year and there's a lot of big names will go there and they'll have matches and stuff. And they put on an actual event. There's like a dinner and then a, a night with some of the workers, some of the younger guys that are in the area. And maybe a couple of the older guys will do tag matches or whatever. And, and they put on their deal there too. So yeah, I would definitely check those out because you know, life's short and that whole COVID thing taught us that, if you see things around you, you need to do them because they might not be there in a year or two or three years. And it's kind of sad because the other thing with CAC yeah. is like every year I go and I'll see some of these old timers and then they pass away within the six months after or whatever. You're like, wow, I met Alexa Smirnoff. I met Pat Patterson. I met these guys. And then now they passed away and you're just really thankful that you had that opportunity because I've missed on opportunities that people have, I'm like, man, I wish I would have went and they no longer with us or something. So I always say take every opportunity if, if you can, you know. Right, right. And even like the same with like uh, horror conventions. Um, 
you know, there's yeah. there's people that I've seen at uh, horror conventions that have passed away already, and you know, I'm I'm like, geez, like I just saw them not that long ago, and they've already passed away. Um, you know, I'm just thankful that I got a chance to to either meet them or um, to see them up close and personal. So yeah, I, no, and it is you really value that, and that's part of your life, and that's part of your your chapters of your life. Now you say, Oh, I met this person. I met that person. And I mean, I am always thankful on the pictures I have or the autographs I have that. Wow. And then I have that story in my brain and I can relive it. And, and it's always, it's always a good thing. And it's something that people always need to take advantage of, you know? Right. Yeah. And it's just some, something you can hold on to the rest of your life and, you know, to, to be able to look back and be like, yeah, you know, I, I, thankful that i actually got to meet them before they passed on yeah i mean i met george amaro i met wes craven i met a lot of the guys that are no longer with us you know and i was so thankful that i went to the conventions and met them and got pictures with them and all that stuff because it's it's now i can't do that no more you know right right and you know i mean there's there's other aspects as to you know why to go to conventions but um you know, they're, they're just so much fun to go to and just being able to interact with, with everybody and meet new people, maybe become friends with people that, you know, you weren't expecting to, to, to meet and, um, you know, and then see things that you've never even seen before, like, uh, you know, little shops that, that, uh, have tables, booths, and, you know, they might have something that you've never even seen before, or you see filmmakers that you've never met before and you pick up one of their movies and, you know, you really dig the films. Uh, there's just so much aspects yeah. as to why to go to conventions. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm one of those examples of just like I've went as as just a viewer and then I went and had tables at uh, Fangoria and, and uh, you know, the uh, Sinister Creature Con and, and um, um, the one up in Seattle. Um uh, anyway, I forgot that one, but yeah, but there's like all the different ones that I went to. It's so cool because like as a vendor, you're there pitching your movie or your movies and you're interacting with your people that have never heard of you before, like you mentioned, and you're talking to them and, and getting your stuff out there. Plus you'll meet other people that are guests or whatever. They're cruising around during the show or before the show and you could give them your movie or, or get a picture with them and stuff. And then you're like, wow, you know, like, I gave Dario Argento one of my films. I'm like, wow. And then I got a picture with him. I'm like, wow, now I gave Dario Argento is going to watch my movie, whether he likes it or not. Still, I can say Dario Argento has watched one of my movies, hopefully, you know? And so there's just little things like that, that you're really like really thankful for, you know? And, and like I said, you should always take those opportunities because they won't be there forever. Right. And since this is a horror podcast, hopefully uh, people listening, you know, definitely go to a horror convention. Uh, there's so much fun. Yeah. Uh, just the experience of going to a horror convention, even if you don't buy a whole lot, like just, you know, check them out because they're, they're, they're one of the things that I look forward to all year long. They're just so much fun to go to. Yeah. And just like wrestling and horror conventions, they're all different sizes. You have little ones that are popped up that are, you know, more local or have one or two guests, same with the combo conventions. And you'll have the giant ones that are like days of the dead or, you know, uh, Frightmare weekend or these other ones that are multi days and they have, you know, 80 names and this and that. It's just sometimes if that's intimidating, go to your local small one. There's a lot of good 
a lot of cool stuff in those as well. And a lot of cool people that you'll meet that have shops or that have online sites or that are just like you, that you'll be friends with people. And I've met a lot of cool people through doing those things like that. Right. And, you know, you can meet uh, filmmakers like uh, Jason Rudy here and pick up yeah. some of his films and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe get uh, some movies signed. A lot of people oh, like, yeah. uh, you know, getting their uh, memorabilia signed. So for sure. Most definitely. Um, so anyways, um, getting onto some of the, the films that you've made, um, like some of your earlier ones, uh, Room uh, 412, The Last Road to Hell, Love Blade. Um, what would be like some of your uh, inspirations as to, um, you know, becoming a filmmaker and then uh, the direction that you're wanting to take your films? Well, uh, Room 412 was the last film I did for Greg. And that one, uh, I forgot the author of that uh, script, but uh, we ended up doing that short film for him. And that was a, uh, a two-person film of a person that hears something on the other side of the wall and uh, they don't know if it's somebody dying or what. And they have a conversation with the person and then it's, some things happen and it's kind of twisted. Um, so that one I did for him. And then starting off with myself as The Last Road to Hell and Love Blade. Um, Last Road to Hell, I kind of mixed uh, demons are just uh, like not the film demons, but just actual demons in general with like hostile and like more of a um, Robert Altman style of multiple groups converging on one location and then things going awry when they arrive at that location of people being tortured. Um, a woman that was kidnapped that, was into black magic and she rises her father up from the grave to save her. Uh, one of the guys that runs the warehouse is in demonology and he kidnaps a woman and tries to use her body as a portal to bring demons from hell into earth through her body. And then it gets trapped and she turns into a demon. So you have like zombies and demons and people with machine guns and, women that are escaping and it's like a huge free-for-all and so that was like my short and that was pretty wild because we shot that at like this artist colony called uh gallery horse cow and it's a really cool place they had like all these warehouses off by the side of a river and uh it was a good art community so they had a lot of cool atmosphere in that place so one thing i always recommend and I always been taught that way as well as always use cool things instead of just shooting in a room or something. It's way more exciting. And so with there, you had a lot of cool, scary, creepy rundown locations and really interesting visuals that pop the movie up. Uh, so that was the first one. And then love blade, we did like kind of a thing about a woman. Uh, and that was one of my first, actually body horror is something that runs through a lot of my films. Cause like the first film had the woman with the demon getting trapped and her body working against her and, and the body rising from the grave. And then the second film had the body horror of a woman who's basically a virgin. And every time she has sex and she gets turned on, she kills the person that she's with. And uh, then she meets another woman who has the same condition. And they realize that they were, poisoned as kids by a vitamin company that basically 
altered these people's DNA and made them into killers. And so they have this underground group and then they get together and all this other stuff. So yeah, I, I, I like the Cronenberg stuff where it's the body horror of the horror is your body and it's working against you. And, and there's things that, I mean, cause as life, you hurt your back, you fall down, you get old, you have problems with your brain or your body and, and you realize you're not as young as you used to be or, or things. And that's something that we can all experience just like fear. It's like, if you have that emotion or that thing that's in you, you can always relate to it. So I think body horror to me as a man or a woman, it, it definitely impacts everybody, you know, because with women, like with their changes and everything, it, it they're changing who they are and, and, and things. So everybody goes through that change. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my early influences is, is that kind of a, uh, George Mero, David Cronenberg, uh, like as more of a cerebral thinking, but with micro budget as well, you know, because I would basically work a full time job, you know, uh, retail or that where it's not a lot of money, but I would always just get everybody to help me pay some of the leads and then just try to shoot as much as I can and do everything myself for free. I would basically, and I still do, I write, I direct, I'm a camera operator. Um, uh, I do all the artwork. I do all the designs. I do the posters. I do editing. I do everything basically, except for act. And I act a little bit, but everything behind the camera is 90 plus percent me, you know? So. Wow. Wow. Man, that, that's a lot to take on, but you know, yeah, you it's sound crazy, like you're but... a passionate filmmaker. Yeah. And, and passion. That's the thing. If however good or bad your films are, if you have passion and if, your films look fun. I've noticed those are two things people want to see. They're like, hey, that movie doesn't look like it's the greatest movie, but it looks really fun. I want to check it out because when you don't have a lot of money and stuff, these bad movies or, or low budget movies, if it looks fun, you'll want to watch it because maybe it's weird or it's something something's odd about it. If it looks flat, just like with any movie, even big budget stuff, if something's flat or it looks boring, like, oh, I've seen that. I don't want to watch it. Or if you go, oh, that looks kind of weird or something's interesting about that. I want to check it out. And that's always the thing with me is, what I don't have in budget and, and actors and stars and, and other things that are Hollywood trappings. I have a good story or I have something funny or something weird or something that's going to make you look for me. It's usually beautiful women, nudity, subject matter, uh, violence, blood. And just, uh, I try to put, um, um, wrestling in all my films as well. There's always a wrestling scene or talking about wrestling or, or something that has to do with wrestling as well. So, you know, for sure. Um, do you, do you think that, uh, one of these days you'll make a horror film that's kind of based in a wrestling, uh, like, uh, yeah, I've, I've written a script. Um, yeah, I, I've, I've, I definitely have ideas. Um, there's two wrestling things that I've written, uh, one about half about basically, uh, I don't give ideas away, but it's basically kind of a mad, 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 mad world at a wrestling show or convention and then it's people getting killed kind of behind the scenes and then i also wanted to do a wrestling uh story about a wrestler from the 80s that a lot of people don't know about and it's really fascinating about how this guy got in the business and stuff and more of a time capsule i've kind of wanted to do that like 1988 uh, jim crockett era so wow those are two things kind of written yeah for sure i i uh have seen maybe like a couple wrestling horror type of films. Um, one was like pro wrestlers versus zombies, which is a little silly, but right. uh, you know, had Roddy Piper in there. 
um, you know, some, yeah. some bigger wrestlers. So that was pretty fun to watch. The fun ones are the, um, if you ever look for the um, El Santo movies of the 60s and 70s, it's usually El Santo versus Dracula or El Santo and the Blue Demon versus the monsters. And there's usually wrestling versus monsters. Those are really good. I would, I would recommend those. Yeah, I've I've been looking those up lately. Uh, I actually haven't watched any of them, but um, they've kind of sparked my interest. Like trying trying to find them and, and watch those. Yeah, they're definitely fun. I would recommend uh, Ship of Monsters is really good. There's like a uh, aliens and tree monsters, and I mean they have some really cool creatures in there, and and there's a lot of cool lockups with the wrestling and the and the moves with the monsters and. I remember when I first watched them, I was, I was really thought they were really cool. So you should definitely check it out. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, and then, uh, uh, we kind of got a little sidetracked, but, uh, I wanted to add something with, uh, the body horror. You're talking about like your influences yeah, yeah. with, uh, body horror, um, in, in your film, I don't know which one, but, uh, you have Mondo Sacramento one and two, um, you brought, yeah. uh, Lynn Lowry, in uh in one of those films and you know she's probably most notably famous for her role in shivers which is a body horror film yeah so was she kind of like your first thought like of wanting to get her in the film because you know of her line of work with body horror or you know was there was there more to that story and then also you know what was uh um your experience like working with Lynn Lowry on the set. Totally. Yeah. I know Lynn directing Lynn and having Lynn on my film is probably still a high point of my career. I, it's definitely an awesome process. Um, so basically Mondo Sacramento one was in, uh, let's see what year was that? That was in, uh, 2012, I believe. And then Mondo Sacramento two was, uh, 2013. And those are basically true crime films. Um, it's basically about, so when I was a kid, like in the 70s and 80s, there was a lot of really crazy things happening in Sacramento, a lot of killing and stuff. There was uh, Richard. Ch so in Mondo One, I did The Vampire of Sacramento, which is a true story about a man named uh, Richard Chase. And Richard Chase killed a few people here in, I think, I mean, uh, 75, 76, somewhere around there, just off, off memory. Um, and uh, he basically killed people and then drank their blood. So they called him the vampire of Sacramento. And it was like a crazy thing. I remember as a kid hearing, oh yeah, there's a guy that was a vampire and he drank people's blood. We're going to take a quick break and uh, hear a word from the Rude Horror Podcast podcast network called the PFPN, Prescribed Films Podcast Network. Uh, the RHP, Rude Horror Podcast, uh, has been a part of the pfpn for quite a while now so um i hope all of you have had a chance to check out some of the awesome shows that are on the network because there really are some fantastic podcasts on there and it seems like there's new episodes that pop up daily uh, i'm subscribed to the prescribed films podcast network uh like streaming channel that's on podbean uh, or at least I have the RSS feed that, you know, you can get the RSS feed from the Prescribed Films Podcast Network at the pfbn.com. And it just seems like there's episodes that post daily. So, you know, if you're a podcast addict, uh, 
that that channel is definitely something that you need to look into and again there's just so many shows like sometimes i have a hard time keeping track of everything because like you know there's always something going on uh but anyways let's hear a word from the prescribed films podcast network and then we will dive right back into the conversation yeah so um <clears throat> so that was the vampire sacramento uh that story and then we did the bat girl who was a prostitute that uh thought she was a vampire and killed people and then we did one on a massage parlor so we did those three as part one and then i brought in lynn lowry for part two and she starred as uh, dorothea puente for me and dorothea puente was a famous landlady that they did actually a lot of court tv and other documentaries about her she was an elderly landlady that rented rooms in her place and she ended up killing the older men that rented the rooms and she buried like uh, seven bodies in her backyard. And after, and then she escaped, got on a bus, went down to LA and met a guy and hid out. And they ended up catching her. They started digging up all the bodies in her backyard. They dug up like seven bodies and, huh. and found all this. Stuff. And in the film, uh, I document all that. And they're basically reenactments of what happened. And we have the Galegos, which is the first serial killer couple in. American history. And that was like in the seventies. And they basically drove a van around and picked up girls and killed them and buried their bodies all over the place and stuff. But, um, but yes, yeah, so we did that. And we did uh, basically six stories in part two. And so Lynn, um, like we talked about conventions, I knew she was coming up to town to, to do a, a horror convention. And a friend of mine had suggested, Hey, you should think about, you know, contacting some of these people ahead of time, you know, if they're going to be in the area that saves you some money on a plane ticket or you go in on it or whatever and figure out the thing do a one or two day shoot uh depending on the person's availability and time and all that so i contacted lynn and worked out all the negotiations with money and everything and this and that and she was so cool and so nice and i ended up picking her up from the airport and she stayed here with me at my place uh and she stayed uh in uh, the guest room and uh, I ended up taking her to the convention and she did that. And we shot a little bit before. And then a couple of days later, we shot a little bit after. And then I took her to the airport and it was great. So it's like I provided the transportation that saved her and that saved me. And the trip and everything worked good. And, and she came and stayed and, and she was so cool. And I interviewed her uh, as one of the special features on the Mondo Sacramento 1 and 2 DVD. And I talked to her about George Romero and David Cronenberg. And I asked her interview questions about her films and that and, and stuff. And she was really awesome. Awesome, man. Yeah. Uh, I, I've i had the chance to meet her at a convention. She's so nice. We talked about yes. just like, you know, the, the horror genre in the 70s, how like, you know, the 70s had like possibly one of the greatest decades in horror history. Yeah. Um, which... You know, it, no doubt about, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, Dawn of the Dead, The Exorcist. You know, there's some of the best horror films ever. So, um, yeah, yeah, she's really cool to talk to. And she's like yeah, really and, uh, and, and... talkative to like her fans on Twitter. You know, she's always talking to yeah. her fans on Twitter. Yeah, she's she's so nice and so approachable. And it's what's cool about her is she's a total working actress. She does so many independent films, small, small films, big films, whatever. She's always working. And you see her in so many just small filmmakers like myself that she'll 
do the thing and take the time and and you have a really great talent when you bring her onto your film because she's a name she's a great actress she's got a lot of energy she's she brings fans with her she, you know people know know lynn lowry and she definitely raises any production that she's in so most, most definitely. definitely most definitely um i i wanted to mention that uh that you, you do a just franco podcast um yeah with your filmmaking um would you consider like Jess Franco uh, an inspiration on, on any of your films as well? Most definitely. Um, now see, Jess Franco is funny because when I first got into him as like a teenager or maybe I said, actually me, maybe my early twenties, I was kind of a snob. I thought he was kind of, Oh, he's low budget. He's really a hack and, and he doesn't know and blah, blah, blah. And I was very dismissive of him. And I first got into him because I liked Christopher Lee and I liked the um, Fu Manchu film. So I saw the two that he did and they're not the strongest, but the first one's better than the second one. And then I ended up going back and watching some of his films that had other actors like uh, Eugenie and and stuff that had um, Christopher Lee and, and other actors in, in his film. So I kind of went through him, through other actors. And then as I got older, I liked him more and more and more. And then um, it's funny. And then as I got hardcore into him after 2020, I'd say um, over the last three, four years, it's well, actually maybe about 2018. Uh, then I started watching all of his films now and doing the podcast every week. And I see things in films of mine currently and films that I did way back when that are very similar, but I hadn't seen his film yet, but I have similar shots and setups. And I was kind of like, oh, that's cool. Like it's an in sync deal. And like from him, I basically decided to do the podcast um, during COVID times because I couldn't shoot, nothing was going on and I wanted to keep going. I felt like I was kind of sitting around too much and, and letting things slip away. So I ended up buying a bunch of movies and blah, blah, blah and stuff and started getting my collection of him all the way through. And I've got about 95% of his films and he's done over 175 films. Wow. So he's somebody as a filmmaker that is so admirable because there's years that he would do 10 or 12 or even 14 films a year he would basically shoot for i know it's crazy he would basically shoot for a week and then the next week he would edit and do all the dubbing and the sound on that second and third week and then take a couple days off and then start over again and would just do that every month and just stay steady so he's in that he's in that jam where he would do 12 to 14 if he kept that same rhythm so as a filmmaker, so I started watching his films. I jumped in at Count Dracula um, because it had Christopher Lee and it was a good uh, mainstream film for people because everybody likes Count Dracula, you know, Christopher Lee. And so I did that as my first episode and that came out around Halloween of 2020. Then I did one, pretty much one a week, a few weeks I would do two or three a week, but on the average it was one a week. And uh, now I'm celebrating my second year or yeah uh second year and it should wrap up around october of of this year because that's what got to the end of his films about 175 episodes and uh then it'll be about three years that i've done the podcast but i'm so thankful that i've done this podcast because every film of his and so basically i watch him in a row um of when he made them so you'll see some of the same locations, some of the same actors, some of the same things. And I've learned so much from doing this podcast and watching his films because I learned something off each film of a, a setup, an idea. Somehow he did something, an effect, a shot, 
um, a theme, you know, uh, so, something off each thing I'll, I'll, I'll totally learn from and I'll take notes and incorporate it into my own films. Like, oh, he has these three people and he changes these two characters around, but he keeps this core or, you know, just, just something very interesting that I'll find that I'll try to always relate back to my films. And like the film I did, uh, two films back now that's on Tubi and stuff, um, Lady Hyde, that's basically a direct change of She Killed an Ecstasy, but then I took this film and I changed a bunch of stuff and added wrestling and added a bunch of wrestling names and characters and different situations, updated it and did a bunch of, and worked it into my Love Blade thing with kind of a connection and made that my own film, but I still have the I photographed the same cover, the same of her in the chair, which is the same as she killed an ecstasy. She wears a purple cloak, like as in she killed an ecstasy. I have a lot of the same things, the water and the locations and stuff. So yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, it's, he's became a, more of an impact on my career and who I am and everything over this last three years, especially when you get into something really hardcore, just like with wrestling or whatever, when you first get into it, you're just like gung ho, you know, and then you see how long you last. Uh, you and I still have that same passion as I did three years ago when I first started it. So amazing, man. Yeah. Uh, I don't really see a whole lot of, uh, indie filmmakers that, um, kind of has Jess Franco as a, a big inspiration on filmmaking. Um, I, uh, I don't know, I guess maybe the past in the past six years is when I kind of got introduced into, to Jess Franco films. And, um, they're, they're one of them. Uh, or he's one of the filmmakers that's kind of growing on me. Like when I first watched some of his, his films, I'm kind of like, I don't know if I'm really into these films, Right. but then seeing like, you know, Severin keeps putting out just Franco films. Cause you know, David Gregory is a big Jess Franco fan. So, you know, they, the more that films that they put out of his and uh, has been readily available on streaming, um, I've I've been trying to watch some more of his films and they're they're growing on me. So now I want to try to find yeah, more it, just Franco films. <laughs> yeah, especially with streaming. I mean, because gosh, you know, I mean, I was having to, and I still do. Are a lot of play. I mean, fortunately, um, there was a site called uh, uh, Euro Trash, Euro Trash Sle or Euro Trash Sleeves or uh, a Euro Trash film. And it was a guy named Craig that ran that. And he was one of the ones that did video search in Miami back in the day. So like he had a great site of so many stuff and he recently passed away within the last six months or so. So like a lot of that collections there, but there's still a lot of gray market stuff and, and um, eBay and other places where you can get his stuff. But like nowadays shit on Kino cult, there's usually anywhere from eight to 15 Jess Franco films every month on there of the stuff they own. On Tubi, there's usually eight or 10 films under Jess Franco or uh, Jesus Franco. There's even a couple that aren't on the other ones. If you look up that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, and then there's stuff on YouTube, a few here and there. So, even if you don't have money or if you have access to the internet, there's free places to watch his stuff. And some of the best ones, too. I mean, especially Kino Cult, they got um, A Virgin Among Living Dead and they got, uh the dr z's and they got some really great titles of of just franco so there's really no reason not to watch them you know yeah for sure yeah so like uh any anybody watching or, or listening to this podcast like if you're a just franco fan or uh if you want to get into just franco fans or uh <laughs> films uh 
<laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Those, those sites are readily available to, to watch his films. And then, you know, and if you're interested in Jess Franco films, you know, try to check out some of Jason Rudy's movies. Cause from what I've seen, uh, you know, Jess Franco would be an inspiration uh, to, you know, oh, yeah. at least, at least have some several nods to his, uh, to his films and your films. Oh yeah, definitely. I use like a lot of, like Franco used a lot of pseudonyms and a lot of uh, hidden names for his films. And I incorporate some of those names in my film as credits. So for instance, if I do five jobs, I'll give myself credit for two or three and then give fake names for the other two names. And I'll usually use the same names that Jess Franco used for himself, either like a David <laughs> Coon or, or, uh, or um, uh, a Clifford Brown or, you know, any of those names like that. Right. Um, I, I wanted to mention uh, just because like, I, I feel like the people I talk to, they don't really know um, much about this film, but uh, uh, Tender Flesh. Have you seen that one that he made? No, I haven't got to that period yet. That's um, later, Jess Franco. That's the video era when he was shooting a lot on uh, video and stuff. But no, uh, that's that's definitely on my list. Yeah, that one uh, I'll say is is rather wild. I <laughs> there's a couple moments where my jaw dropped literally of what I was watching on the screen. Um, yeah, no, there's there's no, and, and that doesn't surprise me at all because throughout his career, there's things that. Yeah, I just wow, you know, and that's another thing is like I talked about if in places you don't have money, you have those moments, or you have those things that make people go, whoa, and that's what you remember. And it don't matter if a film costs 10 million or 5,000, if you have that memory or that crazy thing, especially like with old John Waters stuff and those things, if you have that shock or that sight or that thing, that's a, a heavy impulse that goes through a lot, you know, especially with scanners and, and, and other things, you know, those, those moments that, you know, like with Jess Franco, there's things of his that see, and the thing with him, I really liked a lot is it freed me through money because a lot of times you're self-conscious of what you have and what you show. Cause you don't want people making fun of you or whatever, but it's like, I watched this film of his and he had this computer and it was basically like this old computer, like this old machine that was something else that had dials and it had the cool stuff and it was in like this mad scientist lab and you look at it, you know, okay, it's a cheaper looking thing or whatever. And some people may laugh at it or some people may think it's cool or you can have that, or you could spend, you know, $2 million and do a whole, build a whole fucking fancy, you know, mad scientist control and all that stuff. But in the film, it, you know, it, it, it comes and goes within 20 or 30 seconds and your memory is gone of it. So who cares if something costs $5 or if it costs fifty thousand dollars has the same impact who cares you know and those things people get tripped up on and, and don't do things and don't take those chances because they think oh it doesn't look good or it doesn't do this well who cares man i mean in the end it's all films come and go so fast nowadays anyway don't let those things trip you up you know and that was watch that i realized that and maybe it opened up a lot of things and made me less afraid to do certain things right yeah yeah i think people need to just 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 make the film just go out there and yeah. make the film, you know, worry about that stuff later or, you know, like, you know, just go out there and make the film and then learn from, you know, or, yes. you know, makes you want to go back and maybe reshoot something because, you know, you came up with an idea, um, at, you know, coming back, editing the film, like, Oh wait, you know, 
I, I need to change this because I think this would be cooler upon looking at the footage or, you know, I think filmmakers are constantly um, tr trying to, trying to better their films as film, you know, as the process of making the film goes on. I think, you know, we're constantly trying to, um, you know, make newer things and like just trying to make the film a better film. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's people that say, well, we'll just fix it and post. And, and that's the wrong mentality to have, but time is an important thing. And, but I've seen people that just keep changing things and changing things. And then by the six months later, they're still changing that thing. And it's like, dude, you need to get on to the next thing and don't sit there and keep tweaking it because you're never going to be happy or you're never going to whatever. And you got to just deal with it and go to the next thing and not obsess over that one thing. Cause you're not going to finish, you know, and like say, Oh, I don't like the way this, like say for instance, Stanley Kubrick, he would shoot, like, say something for months, you know, one setup or, or weeks or whatever, and just take so much time on opening a door a certain way or, or how you pronounce a word or the time, just certain things. And there's something for that, but there's also something for getting the story and being spontaneous and having that energy and, and not, mem and not having that, you know, there's, there's all different ways. And there's not just one way to do things. And, and I think if you're always, you know, I think being spontaneous, having momentum, uh, getting stuff done, being aware of your time and having that passion and that drive is so important. And instead of just, well, maybe it's better if I do this or maybe I'll wait or maybe because if you wait, help's not going to come to you. You have to do it yourself. And that's the way I always learned. If you could sit and learn and try to do stuff, but you just need to do it and get out and figure it out and and learn as you go along and and always read and 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 a lot of stuff you'll learn as you work and and do it, you know. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Good advice. Um, um, so you, you, you're, uh, getting ready to release, or I, I don't know if the film's already had a premiere, but, um, um, Emmanuel in, in Sin City is going to be your newest film. And yeah. then you have, I think one or two more in the works. Um, could you tell us about, about those films? Sure. Yeah. Um, Emmanuel in Sin City is uh, my 15th film under Desperate Visions, but my 16th film. Uh, that's basically there's the um, story behind that is there's films called Emmanuel with E-M-M-A-N-U-E-L-L-E. -E -L -L -E, and that's the Sylvia Christel films that were really popular. There's three of them, uh, Emmanuel, Emmanuel 2 and Goodbye Emmanuel. And then basically um, Joe D'Amato. Uh, made some films with Laura Gimser called Black Emmanuel, and that was Emmanuel with one M, E-M-A-N-U-E-L-L-E. And there was a bunch of knockoff Emmanuel films, and Emmanuel, the name is almost like a subgenre, like a sex comedy or a sex, sex film. It always, if you see Emmanuel something something, it's usually a sex film or a, a sexy type film. If you go on Tubi, for instance, and just type up Emmanuel with one M or two Ms, you'll see even current films that will just use that name as a character in the title. So people will click to it or watch it because it's Emmanuel or whatever, you know? So I always knew that I'm a big um, Emmanuel fan of all the Emmanuel films, especially the black Emmanuel's like um, Emmanuel in America, Emmanuel on the last cannibals, um, Emmanuel, black Emmanuel, all those, they're, they're really good. So mm -hmm. my Emmanuel, so I basically made a film in that even Jess Franco made a couple of knockoff Emmanuel films. He did three of them. So my Emmanuel is a photojournalist and an ex-wrestler 
who gets a call from a friend of hers to investigate the disappearance of his sister, comes to find out she's dead. Uh, she was killed by a a film company that does pornography in Vegas. And so she goes undercover uh, in the world of pornography, photo shoots, and apartment wrestling, like the apartment wrestling pictures, and learns who the killers are and tries to investigate and solve the disappearance of the woman. So, and that just came out January 19th here in Sacramento and um, putting up right now uh, on Film Hub to go through Tubi and Amazon Prime and those channels. So should be out in the next few months on there. And uh, right now we're filming She Knows Ferratu, which is um, kind of like my version of Martin a little bit and meets Maniac. It's basically about a woman whose girlfriend leaves her and she thinks she turned into a vampire and left her. So she wants to go about becoming a vampire so she can join her girlfriend. And that's the story on that one. And then I'm also writing a science fiction film that I kind of want to start before the end of this year. So that's my plan. So I try to do about two films a year if I can do it. You know, I, I can't do Franco's 12 or 14 films, but <laughs> I can do about, about two films. One one day, right? You'll you'll get there one day. Yeah, well, I need, I need, I need money. I need backers. I need... Uh, I mean, I can't, I do everything myself. I self-finance and I can only do so much, but like I said, I mean, you know, if I had a bill of all the stuff I did, whatever, it'd be one thing, but I just do all that stuff because I want to keep making films and doing films. And that's, that's my place on this world is to make films. And when I stop making films, I'll probably stop ceasing. So I got to always make films, you know? <laughs> right. Um, have you ever thought about like doing crowdfunding? I thought about it and I probably should now that I have a, a good uh, backdrop of films behind me and, and, and things to show, especially with streaming and stuff and, and my own self-distribution on DVDs and such throughout the years on my past films. Um, I've always just kind of had the mentality of like, I hate asking for things and then charging people again to see it when it comes out. I know a lot of people do that and it's pretty common, but I was just kind of, I don't know. I, I, my, my pitch has always been, I want to make movies and have people, watch my movies and say, wow, this guy made this movie for $3,000 or $5,000. You know, me and my company have this money. I want to hire this guy to make movies or whatever, like these other guys do. And that's my thing is to work for these people, come with my scripts or have their scripts or, or do something and not have to worry about all that stuff and just do it as a gig. Like Brandon Cronenberg does, or like, you know, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson does, or any of those guys, you know, that the, the people want them to make movies for him, Quentin Tarantino, those guys, you know, you, that's, that's the way you want to do not, oh, I want to just keep scraping and find my own thing. And I mean, there is some freedom to do in your own deal, definitely. But I think to me, a film is a business card and is showing what you can do, you know? Right. Yeah, for sure, man. For sure. Um, yeah. A couple more questions for you before we wrap up. Um, I wanted to mention that, um, um, you work with, uh, actress liz claire in a lot of your films um you know how how did uh that sort of work relation come about and then also uh can we expect to see her in in your upcoming films as well um i i've done five films with her um and she's down in southern california and i'm up in northern california so uh i'm not sure uh if i'm gonna be working with her again um um but uh, yeah, I, I basically met her through other friends that were doing films because she starred in uh, Planet of the Vampire Women up here for uh, friends of mine, Christy and Darren Savage. 
their fellow filmmakers as well. Um, and she was in a one or two films of theirs, and, and I met her through that. And she did for me uh, Desires of Dawn, Mondo Visions, Simone Le Femme de Mon, and then of course uh, Lady or uh, Lady Hyde and Emmanuel in Sin City. So I, I tend to work with actresses, maybe about four or five films that are my leads, and then I just kind of. It's not that I move on, but I just don't want to use somebody over and over and over and over again or, or have them work with me because both of us get typecasted that way, I think, you know, and I, I kind of, mm -hmm. I don't know, I, I feel like there's always a shelf life. Like, I like Jess and Lena, but that was a different situation. Like, that was his wife and stuff and his 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 lady, so she was his muse. But, uh, like, for instance, uh, for She Knows, uh, she knows Feratu, I have uh, Jessica Dardarian as the lead in that, and she's been in the last two films as a supporting actress, so I, I try to always, you know, bring somebody in as a support and then build them up to a lead and then go on from there. Kind of like wrestling, you know, you build somebody up and then they're the champion and they go to yeah. another territory or go somewhere else, you know. For sure, yeah. Yeah, I like that. Um, What would you consider to be, like, your favorite universal monster or do you have like a favorite universal monster film uh favorite universal monster originally would be frankenstein because it was such impactful to me boris karloff when he first heard the steps and then they first showed because i was a kid they showed it this is before vhs they would show it on tv twice a year or whatever i remember a kid watching it for the first time on the little tv and hearing the footsteps and then seeing him and all those quick close-ups of his face that was like so amazing to me and then like House of Frankenstein and House of Dracula, like the, all, all the monsters together. It was always like a huge thing for me. And also Frankenstein meets the Wolfman because they're fighting all the time. But I'd say as I got older, the Black Cat is like my favorite uh, um, universal horror film with Bella and Boris and the whole sat Satanism thing and all that. It's really, really awesome film. Interesting. Yeah. Very cool, man. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that like... Um... You know, is there anything else that you'd like to to mention that maybe we didn't mention, or you know, like is there any? No, I, I think I think we pretty much carried, covered quite a bit, man. And I really do appreciate you being so thorough. It was really cool. I wasn't sure I was just going to come on and talk about the last two things of the podcast, and it was cool that you went through it and went through a bunch of my films and and carried that and kind of gave people a backstory of of all the stuff I'd done. Um, like I said too, um, I got uh, Tubi uh, for um, Lady Hyde. And we got that on Momentu and uh, Zumo, X-U-M-O. And then, you know, Amazon Prime bought it. It was delivered to them in September. I just keep waiting for them to add it. So it's it's there in their hands. So hopefully Lady Hyde will be on Amazon Prime soon. I mean, it's it's in their it's in their hands. I just got to see whenever they add it. Um, um, Emmanuel and Sin City will be up and streaming here in the next few months. And then I got, like I said, I got uh, 15 other films before that that I'm going to eventually put up for streaming or maybe like try to like I keep seeing a lot of these companies will have these box sets of you know micro budget filmmakers and all their films and stuff so I I, I don't know if I want to kind of like hold out and just keep assembling things for something like that or or put it out one by one streaming or, or what I want to do but I definitely have the product and and now I've got all that behind me I got about nine features and seven short films so I got 16 17 films right now so I I, I could do something with that you know so just be on the lookout for Desperate Visions productions for sure. Awesome, man. Awesome. Uh, do you have like a, a website or anything where people can buy physical copies or do you usually just try to sell those at conventions? I used to have a website, but then it just kind of didn't really work out as well as I'd hoped. I was actually spending more money keeping it going than what I was selling. 
So I, I kind of do conventions and like people, if they really want to get my stuff, they could find me through Facebook or through Instagram, either through the, on Instagram under the Franco Observer podcast or uh, Jason Rudy um, Desperate Visions or Mondo Visions or through Facebook under just Jason Rudy Desperate Visions Productions. And uh, yeah, if you get a hold of me, I'm always down to sell it through, you know, PayPal or whatever, or just send people discs because I still have a lot of uh, stuff that I have produced over the years through factories and everything. And it's all just sitting in boxes and in, in my warehouse and stuff. So I'm always down to sell discs, you know, because physical media is always awesome. So for sure, for sure. Yeah. I'll definitely uh, leave uh, all the links in the description of this episode. So if people do want to uh, pick up copies of your films or, you know, get in touch with you and, and talk to you about your films uh, that that information will be there readily available for people. Awesome. That's what it takes. That's what counts. (laughs) Well, Jason, man, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and and talking about your films, your upcoming films, uh, the incredible conversation with wrestling and and Jess Franco. Um, Thank you so much, man. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. It was very, very fun, and I um, thoroughly enjoyed myself.